0: This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersection of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning. Each week, we share a conversation with a powerful leader and an accompanying audio practice to help resource you in your leadership and the well-being of you and your people. This week, Mark Fairfield is joining us to guide us through an exercise called Sharing Resonance. Mark was the founder and executive director of the Relational Center, which is a nonprofit community organization in Los Angeles that exists to rescue and preserve the important social ties that humans depend on for health and well being. And as a psychotherapist and also someone who is involved in ACT UP, Mark has unique perspective on some of the simple practices we can integrate into our movement work to build a more relational and interdependent culture on purpose that undoes the impact and harm of individualism. To hear him talk more about that, you can listen to the episode before this one, but let's get right to the practice for you this week. This is one that you will be learning by listening. So you won't actually be able to do it as you listen, but is a really rich practice that has really impacted the movement spaces that I'm part of, as well as even the way that I relate in my marriage. I've been practicing this sharing resonance for years, and I often forget to do it. But when I do it, it really, really works to develop a sense of connection and and restore that between me and the people that I work with and do life with. Um, and so for that reason it's a little bit of a longer practice you'll listen and learn there's a link you can click to in the show notes to actually follow along on a handout um, that can be a kind of a handy visual reference for if you take this forward and practice it yourself and because it's mostly listening you can actually do this one on the go you don't have to stop and sit down and only do this right now you can be taking a walk um, or doing whatever it is you need to do so I hope that uh, sharing resonance is a practice that you benefit from, and I'm proud to turn it over to Mark to teach us.
1: We're gonna have a a guided exercise um, on how to do a practice called sharing resonance, which is a relational practice. And uh, because of that, uh, Kate and I are going to model it together.
0: Yay! Uh, as we
1: relate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get to be part of a practice, so fun. <laughs>
1: Love that. Um, bear in mind that th- this is a practice that is bundled with another practice, which is called Stories of Connection, which is a particular kind of storytelling uh, with specific elements to focus on. Um, and and the resonance sharing practice is, is is really always intended to be coupled with that.
0: Mm. So yeah, I know that everybody listening doesn't necessarily have a particular storytelling practice in the organizing or healing work that you're doing, but some of you probably do. So for example, I came up through um, learning sort of the Marshall Gans style story of self-us-now in the dreamer movement, um, which is really embedded in that organizing work. And certainly in a lot of public social justice work, sharing our stories and our pain and highlighting uh, the disparities of that is, is really central to how we move people to take action with us, right? Um, so a lot of us have kind of some, some tradition of storytelling as part of the work that we do. And the thing that really strikes me about the way that I've learned storytelling from more of a relational framework is this element of making sure that we're uplifting our uh, connections and supports in the way that we're telling our story. And this was a huge revelation for me when I attended a training that uh, was put on by Mark and Cedar and Lucien of the Relational Center um, a few years ago of really deconstructing, You know, when we're telling our stories of resilience and survival and communicating our, our suffering and asking people to take action with us, making sure that we're not then um, glamorizing like a hero mythology about ourselves when we share our challenges and our ability to meet those challenges even if the point that we're making in sharing our story is that we are under supported and that we need people to take action and support us that we're facing oppression and that the external conditions need to change even when that is the point of the story still somewhere in the story there is some element of connection and support that has made it possible for us to survive those dramatic conditions Mm -hmm. um those unjust conditions and so one thing that I hope you'll be able to hear when I share my story and that I've really thought about centering ever since I learned this from Mark is um how when we're telling our stories are we uplifting uh uplifting a sense of connection, interdependence, and naming the supports that we've received that are the reason why we're still here today.
1: That's great. That's great. And of course, the practice of sharing resonance is um, a way for us to, after we've shared a story like that, to find out um, how people are now connecting to us in hearing the story. Mm. It's a lovely gift to be given to, to receive explicitly from other people what, what's moved them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the elements of the story that have um, engaged their humanity really directly? Um, and so uh, this practice that I'm about to describe um, is pretty simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it is the instruction on how to listen when someone is sharing a story, and what to do when they've finished. Um, and uh, the purpose of it is um, to, to then look for the ways that we are connected to each other. Um, really important point to make here is that um, what we know, what science has already told us, is that um, we are already connected. And that's why stories of separation are so poisonous and insidious, because they actually get us to believe that we're not. So this practice is a part of having a firsthand experience of that we are already connected. Um, and because we tend to um, communicate in um, a variety of ways um, that don't necessarily draw attention to that (laughs) Um, we've designed a special kind of listening and responding practice which a little like meditation um, helps us to filter out all of the um, responses and thoughts and behaviors that um, might have value you know in and of themselves but in the interest of looking for and discovering what those connections are um, really serve as more distractions than than supports Um, so the this this is a a practice that um, uh, mostly involves um, deciding not to do stuff that you might have the impulse to do and uh, as a bonus (laughs) the thing you should do if you're doing this practice is very simple mm-hmm. so that's the benefit um the harder part is to to try to not do uh, certain other things so he, the thing we want to do in sharing resonance is as we're listening to people share their stories which are stories about connection um to notice the moments in a person's story uh when you feel the most engaged and what that means is that you maybe even almost for a moment forget what room you're sitting in (laughs) what the context is who you are who they are you're so kind of enwrapped by the story um that, that 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 something happens for you and we call it resonance because we're drawing on um, neuroscience, you know, about nervous systems. Um, and, uh, and that is a, a reference, of course, it's a metaphor, the word resonance, it's a, it's a reference to what happens with sound waves. And so one thing I'm going to invite you to imagine as we move into trying this on is um, you walk into a band room or an orchestra room and there's no one in there but all the instruments are set up. There's cymbals, there's a drum set, there's a piano. There's all kinds of instruments. And you're the only one in the room and you pick up the clarinet or the flute (laughs) or the trumpet and whether you can play the instrument or not, you make a noise. And what will happen when you do that is that some of those other instruments vibrate specifically the stringed instruments, the drums, the cymbals, and they'll play. Mm-hmm. They might not play strategically. They might not play in harmony, but they'll play. And they're playing because the sound waves that you've created are actually vibrating through the, those instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that the human nervous system is sort of designed similarly. Um, we're, we're wired to vibrate, when someone's playing our song. Mm. <laughs> and so another way to think about what to be listening for when, when, uh, when the gift of a story is being given to you is listen for when you vibrate. Mm. Listen for when the, the, the one note seems to be playing both the storyteller and the listener. And so just be noticing that, and there might be dozens of such moments in the course of a, of a story, particularly if a story is a long story, particularly if the story is a really strong story of connection. Because it turns out the more connection we embody in the way we tell our stories, which includes hitting all those elements that you just mentioned, Kate, the more resonance we're likely to pull for. Mm. It also is true that the more resonance we pull for, the more support we have to deeply connect in our stories. Hmm. So this is meant to be a reciprocal process that um, gradually helps to deepen how much connection we have access to. Hmm. Uh, so, So the instruction is to, once you've heard the story and you've been invited to respond, to just name a few of those moments when that happened. So you don't have to say why you think those were the moments in the story when you resonated. In fact, it's not particularly helpful when developing this story of connection practice. Um, It's more helpful to say when, what were the moments, when did it happen, You don't even have to say why, you don't even have to say how it happened. You don't even really have to say what happened to you, because we're already, we've already agreed that what happened was that you resonated. So really, the point of this is to share back with the storyteller, which are the moments that are the most resonant. And then you can see how, as you practice storytelling, whether it's for very strategic purposes in your organizing or whether it's just about like building community, that, that engaging in that practice repetitively over time, particularly with the same com- people in the same community, that, um, that the story becomes increasingly more coherent and resonant um, as you learn uh, more and more, you know, where where the moments are in your in the story that you've shared, that pull for that. So um, here's the simple instruction. You just say, Kate, when you shared this, I was right there with you. You know, maybe you might say it like, I felt really connected, or I felt super engaged, or I really related to that. Um, but there's something really powerful about just saying, I'm with you. I'm with you in that moment, um, uh, particularly when uh, what we're sharing is about a struggle. To have that that image of someone standing by our side can be very powerful. And and that's often actually how it feels when you feel really pulled in by a story. It's as if you were right there, right? So I was right there with you when you said, and we'll model this um, in, in just a few minutes. So that you may be thinking, well, that's... Super easy. You can't even imagine why there's a, it's on a podcast. Like, why would you do this? Why are you taking up my time? Um, but um, I, I want to warn you, maybe easier said than done. Uh, because like meditation, it takes some discipline. And the, a lot of this practice actually um, puts the demand on us to interrupt impulses that we might have to respond as we would naturally in any other context so we've sort of systematically identified what the the usual (laughs) offenders are of 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 being impulsive in the way that we respond and and so we list them so that it it becomes helpful that when it happens you can ID it and, uh, you know, no harm done if you engage in it, but the more important thing is to notice how you're doing it and then maybe even reflect on, oh, I wonder how often I do that and in what contexts I do that. So here's the list of, of, of things to avoid doing, even interrupt doing them if you find yourself sort of following the impulse to. And the first one is... Uh, this is not the time to ask follow-up questions. Hmm. So resonating does not involve inquiring or interrogating into more details of the story or asking for clarification about something that you, you know, heard. Um, Don't ask questions. Do you want to give us an example of that?
0: Sure. So if you listened to the episode before this and heard Mark's story about school, An example of asking a question after Mark's story would just be, um, Mark, where were your parents when all of this was happening?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that might actually be an interesting question to me. So I might be seduced by it. (laughs) But what will happen is if I answer it, or even if I don't answer it, but I kind of think about what the answer to the question is, it takes me away from the process of being in connection with other people who have just walked the journey with me. And it interrupts the integration uh, and the the sort of coherence building that's happening organically as part of this practice. So questions are on the avoid list. The next one is... Um, making meaning or offering an interpretation of what you thought you heard. Now, some of the time that comes in the form of paraphrase. Um, and I, I, I like to add that here because you're, no one is going to be, a, we're not tape recorders, so no one is going to be able to feedback verbatim, you know, exactly what someone has shared in the story. And that's okay because, the way you remember it is also important and interesting for the storyteller to hear. Uh, But, uh, so, so let's just assume, like, you know, the footnote is, of course, there's no way to literally say back exactly what the person said, but you can say back what you heard, right? But in sharing back what you heard, it is not an uncommon practice in social discourses for people to take liberties. And maybe subtly, maybe pretty blatantly, rephrase it in a way that really means something different. Maybe the thing you think it means, right? So interpreting, including paraphrasing, is off. The idea is just, when I heard you say, and then say the words, was right there with you. So Kate, you got an example of interpretation?
0: Yeah. So if I were to say in response to Mark's story, um, wow, I was right there with you when you were experiencing bullying and I'm really struck by the way that that led you later in life to this important work that you're doing now. Like I'm drawing the connections for Mark about how his story unfolded and that maybe those things were meant to happen
1: again something that in polite conversation or even very meaningful conversation over coffee you could easily do and it's a gift um, but it, it won't necessarily support this integration coherence building process that we're looking for to help the storyteller really stay connected. so uh, so no questions, no interpretations um, the next, One is um, one-upping, right? You think that's bad. Uh (laughs) Give an example of one-upping. Yeah,
0: this one's pretty straightforward. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that might have been your experience in school, but let me tell you about what I went through. Yeah.
1: And then the the counterpart to that one-downing, which is interesting because you might think you're expressing humility by doing it, but it can actually feel alienating. So you want to try that?
0: Wow, I never could have lived through what you went through even by the time you were 13 years old.
1: Right. Now you can sort of see how in another context, that might be a lovely thing to say because it means like, boy, you're courageous. You know, aren't you strong? But again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to locate the ways that we are vitally connected to one another. So, emphasizing how we're not connected isn't the point, even though, of course, we know there are various ways that we're not, but there are these fundamentally important ways that we are, and it lives in the humanness of our experience. So, I need you to remind me that I'm human, and the way that you'll do that is, even if you didn't experience what I experienced, you could still be there with me. And so, we avoid one-upping and one downing what's the last thing that we want to avoid Kate
0: giving advice
1: oh of course advice giving uh which is a lovely pastime I'd love to have a radio show (laughs) where I have the opportunity to do that because I generally overvalue the advice that I can give to people (laughs) Um, and often advice is really really helpful Mm -hmm. and this is just not the time or place to do it Mm. This is not that moment, mm. you know, where you want to give some advice. You, you have an example of a kind of advice-giving impulse. Mm.
0: Well, when you shared your story earlier uh, in the episode prior to this one, I was right there with you when you talked about the residual impact of the trauma you experienced as a kid. And I wonder if you might consider going to therapy now to to mm. work on that. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe some EMDR or <laughs> yeah. right, join a group. Yeah there's lots of resources available for trauma survivors um have you heard of get empathy (laughs) (laughs) um so uh so i think you get the point that um these are not things that you shouldn't do in life (laughs) and there there's nothing inherently wrong with them um they are however sort of culturally shaped things that we have the impulse to do all the time um often we're thinking we need to be able to offer something back, right? Like this is a way for me to make a contribution. And the good news here is that your greatest contribution is just letting the storyteller know when they were human, when they moved you. Tell them what they said that moved you. Don't tell them why. Don't give them the background. Don't inquire about it. Just tell them. Uh, If you get... 5 or 6 shares back about moments in your story when other people felt that they were right there with you. It is a very rich, very powerful pool of support. If you've never experienced it before, I really encourage you to try this practice because it's 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 actually staggering because you realize when you get it how infrequently you have access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, So, the hard part is avoiding doing these things that come quite naturally to us. The easy part is it's very simple, and um, funnily enough, uh, when we teach this practice to super sophisticated folks, they have a really hard time doing it, but when we teach this practice to 12-year-olds, they do it right on the first try, (laughs) and they get a lot of mileage out of it. So that's the explanation, uh, and that's the background for why that works. Um, I wonder if we can uh, model it now. I've invited Kate to uh, be a storyteller with me in this Mm. practice so that I can offer my resonance back to her um, as a way of modeling the practice now.
0: Mm. Thank you. Thank you so the first thing that i thought to share with you um is a story about when i was really really little so um when i was born i'm the first born of my generation so i'm oldest sister oldest cousin oldest everything And, uh, there's a lot of mythology about when I was born, I came five weeks early and the night before my mom was supposed to stand up in her sister's wedding and, uh, everybody from extended family was in town for my, for my aunt's, uh, wedding. And apparently I didn't want to miss the party. So I was born five weeks early and really like the first thing that I knew and, and really remembering for the whole base of my childhood is just that I was adored Um, being that first baby, I had so many doting adults around me. Um, and that really characterizes a lot of my childhood. But, um, I remember maybe around the age of seven or eight, um, some of that started to become fractured and I remember, um, my dad just... Being really intense and having a lot of um outbursts of uncontrollable anger that really developed over a period of years into abuse, um mm-hmm. a verbal and emotional abuse and also physical abuse. And um being that firstborn, I really remember like seeing the way that my dad would snap either on me or my siblings or my mom and feeling like this cannot be the way the world works. Like this cannot be okay. Um, I remember him sort of like backing my mom against a wall and like smacking the wall as hard as he could right next to her head. Like as if he was going to hit her in the face and I remember him telling my mom to repeat things after him about how he was right and she was wrong. And I remember seeing my mom just like shrink and wilt. And my mom is like a little hundred pound frame of a woman as it is, and she somehow got smaller. And um, I remember just like watching her concede and feeling so furious about that and how wrong that was. And this sense of like, this sense of responsibility on my own part of like, if if that it was my choice as to whether I was gonna stand up against what he was doing would create the meaning of whether this kind of unchecked power could be in the world mm. or not. Mm. Um, and I remember one particular thing that he used to say to me in specific, um, which was, he would say, I'm big, you're little, I win, you lose. And he would make me repeat back to him, you're big, I'm little, you win, I lose. And even now as I talk about that, like I feel like fire in my bones, right? Um, Just angry. Um, And so, as a kid, I learned to put my body between whatever was happening. I fought back and I earned the nickname, the, the sort of like dismissive nickname from him of the martyr. That I was just like this little body, and I was going to put myself between him and my mom. I was going to stand up and refuse to repeat after him and like. Uh, even to the point of where, like, I lost my electricity privileges at one point, and everything was removed from my room, and like, just things would escalate. And um, and all during this time, for some reason, I deeply just remember never questioning as to whether I was right or whether I had dignity. Um, like the only thing that I knew was that I, I had to defend that dignity and I think a big part of why I knew that is because of the love that I got when I was so little and especially my grandparents who remained super active in my life on a weekly basis through all this time I had these spaces that weren't riddled with abuse where I kind of was able to fill up my reservoir of knowing that I was special and I was worth something. Mm. And it wasn't until later on um, when I did some work in Central America and on the south side of Milwaukee and um, started kind of my organizing work at an org called Voces de la Frontera um, that the immigrant community that I was working with also really welcomed me in and um, gave me an outlet for that like righteous rage about unchecked power creating harm. Um, that it really created like a home and an outlet for me in a sense that I am not alone in my outrage and I am not alone in my commitment to this world needing to be different. Um, and. I have really experienced, like, the greatest meaning of my life in being welcomed into the collective project of, um, of re- resisting unchecked power. Mm. Mm. But in a community. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. 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 Uh, well, I'm right there with you when you say I was adored when I was born (laughs) Um, and I had the love of my grandparents um, every week you know involvement contact Um, I was also right there when uh, when your dad's fist was coming so close to your mother's face and Uh, when he towered over you and made you tell him who was big and who was small, took your electricity privileges away, Uh, and there with you when you had a a community that welcomed your outrage (laughs) and gave you an outlet to um, confront unchecked power.
0: Um, Yeah. Thank you
1: you're welcome thank you thank you and that is as simple as it sounds this um, deeply important practice to help us reconnect and uh, and also to help us um, find in our own stories evidence that we are already connected
0: Thank you, Mark, for sharing that practice, and thank you to all of you who are listening for holding my story. Now you are ready to go forth and share this practice. We recommend that you practice story sharing and sharing resonance in a group of three or more people. So that way the person sharing their story gets several rounds of resonance. Uh, What stands out to different people will be different, right? And so it's really a gift to be able to get resonance from a couple of different people. And feel free to use the handout that is linked in our show notes um, as a reference point to remember some of the things that we talked about that are and aren't uh, in the model of sharing resonance. Yeah. And let us know how it goes. We love hearing from folks that have used the practices um, about how they've tried them on, what's worked, what hasn't, the impact they've had in our lives. Um, Let us know. Tag us on social media. Send us an email. You can find links to all that good stuff to get in touch with us um, in the show notes. And you can always sign up on our email list at healingjustice.org. And if you want to hear more about this topic, um, you can download the corresponding conversation with Mark Fairfield about relational culture and individualism, the factors for resilience, his work with ACT UP supporting caregivers during the AIDS crisis, and his relationship with failure. Finally, we ask that if you can, that you give an offering and reciprocity for these practices that we're sharing. We run this whole project off of free will offerings and it's totally volunteer run. It means a lot when you give at patreon.com slash healing And it also means a lot when you share, subscribe, rate, and review an Apple podcast to help us continue. Thank you to Yoshi Fields for content editing and Zach Meyer for mixing and production at The Coal Room. And thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us. Hear you next week.